Welcome to Health Setterer's podcast. Dr. Nancy Rehm is Professor Emerita of Nursing at Columbia University, a researcher of women's health and menopause, a registered nurse, and most recently, an osteoporosis diagnosee. Dr. Rehm's diagnosis has motivated her to learn more about osteoporosis and to spread awareness about the condition to adults over 65. On this podcast, Dr. Diana Mason, registered nurse and host of this program, hosts Dr. Nancy Rehm for an in-depth discussion about what osteoporosis is, how to analyze your own risk for developing it, and her personal experience with the disease. This podcast first aired on Healthsetera and the Catskills on WIOX Radio. Dr. Nancy King Rehm is Professor Emerita at the Columbia University Medical Center School of Nursing and uh, is a noted researcher, uh, particularly on menopause, but recently was, fairly recently, was diagnosed with osteoporosis and, and is becoming sort of a walking expert on osteoporosis through a lived experience. So yeah. I, I asked her to join me today on Health Center in the Catskills to talk about osteoporosis. And Nancy, thank you so much for coming on to Health Center. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted. I wish I was in the Catskills. Well, I'm in Michigan, so it's all right. <laughs> right. So, so you were recently diagnosed with osteoporosis. Um, yeah. How did you react to that diagnosis? <laughs> I was flabbergasted. <laughs> Moi? <laughs> Excuse me. No, I, uh, I, I'm always flabbergasted. I remember when I was 40 and I had to get eyeglasses. I couldn't believe it. It's just, <laughs> it's just like every, well, you know, that's just your natural reaction. No, I have been, I have all the risk factors. Um, so I kind of knew it was coming and because, uh, well, and those being, um, I'm small, I'm white, I'm a woman, uh, small boned, uh, low BMI. I'm Scandinavian. BMI being? I'm sorry, a body mass index and uh, low weight. Um, I said woman, what else? Fair uh, skin. Fair skin. Yeah. So those are the biggies. Um, even though I don't smoke and I don't drink. Uh, well, that's not true. I, I don't I'm not a heavy drinker, which is also one of the more than three drinks a day. You're considered extreme more than one a day. And you're considered um, what's the difference? One is normal and excess excess women, women. Now, you know, it's bad for our health. It's bad for our, our heart, our brain, and also for our bones. I hate to say it. Social drink. You can have up to seven a week. <laughs> total and these are whether it's wine or alcohol or all of these things um, to, uh, and it won't hurt your heart but um your brain i mean all this research is coming out that alcohol is just not our friend well hey, i always understood that red wine was helping my heart that's right that's right so they're gonna have to resolve that as far as i'm anyway so yeah so i kind of knew that was gonna be in my future and my mother um she had broken a uh fractured her ankle when she was doing the polka so at age 65 so I thought that was kind of a a non you know reason for breaking a bone but um she and but she had the widow's hump you know what What's I'm calling the widow's hump the dowager 
terrible scoliosis in the spine and uh, where they're really bent over. And, and that started actually in her late seventies. So, and those are really, those are silent fractures of the spine. I don't think women realize men or women realize that. And um, yeah, so all of it. So a family history of osteoporosis or fractures um, is also one of the risk factors. So, you know, it was all the odds were against me. And sure enough, and of course, as a, as a researcher, um, I was doing research on menopause at the time. I knew what my estrogen levels were and menopause status. So if you're post-menopause, that's also uh, a risk factor because your estrogen is low. And we know estrogen is, um, you know, promotes bone um, and prevents bone loss. So, um, yeah, so all those things were happening. Uh, yeah, so here I am. <laughs> here you are. So um, let's say what osteoporosis is first. Well, the definition, as I understand it, is basically, um, except here's where all the here's where all the controversy comes in. Uh, some people will some experts will define it as a, a T score a number that uh, is equal to uh, 25% or more uh, bone loss compared to the standard 30-year-old female. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, you, your mean bone density, when you measure it on a machine called a DEXA scanning machine, um, is 25% below uh, what you, your average bone density would be compared to a 30 year old woman. And that, that number, um, so there's a range. So the range can start at minus one standard deviation or 10% below to 2.5 minus 2.5. It gets, I'm, I'm getting kind of in the weeds here, but, um, that, uh, def, that range of score would equal low bone mass. You're still not defined as osteoporosis, but you're in the, the, the danger zone, uh, meaning uh, your bone loss has now is, is close to osteoporosis. But once you hit this threshold T score, T for, I don't even know what it stands, trabecular maybe, I don't know. Um, it's uh, you, That uh, puts you in the definition of osteoporosis and actually the t the t scores can get as high as minus three or minus four standard deviations and if you have bone uh disorders or metabolic syndromes or things that really impact your bone health then your numbers can be much worse really yeah, yeah. so 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 just in lay language we're talking about a loss of bone mass losing yeah. losing the density of your bone losing calcium from your bone right mm -hmm. you don't have as right. much calcium in there and and nancy I, there's been this controversy so one of the one of the concerns about osteoporosis has long been fractures that if you if as you said the dowager's hump was related to fractures and many people didn't realize that it's fractures of the spine uh, but there's also the idea that you're more you're more at risk for hip fractures, and there was some thinking that it's not so much the bone density as it is the br bones have become brittle, and that the fractures are related to the brittleness of the bone. Do you know anything about that? Well, I do, only because um, uh, we have some world class 
superb, brilliant bone researchers at Columbia University. And I'm lucky enough to be, uh, you know, Ethel Cyrus being one, but Elizabeth Shane being another, where they have access to and have developed some of these bone quality instruments that actually look at the bone quality and not just the strength of the bone, but the the architecture of the bone. And um, there are ways of measuring that, although it's more expensive. It's not standard clinical practice. It's not your regular bone density machine. No, no. Mm -hmm. And you get more radiation. Um, Yeah, a lot more. And I don't think people appreciate that either. But having said that, because I was a researcher at uh, a menopause researcher, and because I was interested, and I do a lot of I do a lot of, uh, I volunteer for studies because I don't ask people to volunteer to be in my clinical research unless I do it. You know, I mean, come on. Good for you. <laughs> and so I knew I was at risk for osteoporosis. So they, they had a number of um, the group at Columbia, Dr. Shane and, and uh, John Belzikian actually had to have a number of clinical uh, trials going on, uh, looking at architecture of the bone and actually comparing and this is important too, um, uh, comparing different race ethnic groups and looking at Asian women, especially mm-hmm. because they're the, the, the understanding is that they are at much higher risk for bone loss, like white, white women. Oh. In actuality, though, they have smaller frames and smaller bones. So there's, there's almost an overestimation of their bone loss. Mm-hmm. It's because our, our machines are standardized to this quote, typical white, you know, white woman frame. So they, they've been doing some work on that. And I volunteered, I was one of the, the, the controls, I guess. Um, So I got to see some of the, and I got to follow and track. And I had a baseline, if you will, using both their standard DEXA machines, but also the, some of the uh, more advanced technologies and to see how fast my bone was, I was losing bone. And of course the perimenopause transition is a time when there is a, there is accelerated bone loss. And for me, it was really quite dramatic. Mm. So I went from like a minus 2.4 uh, to a minus 3.4 in the spine and in the hip. So yeah, there was, I really needed to be on medicine. There was no question. So, so, <laughs> so you, you talk about those numbers but in reality, what did you feel? What did you, did you have any symptoms? You didn't, right. if, if you hadn't been in no. the study, would you know? No, exactly. I mean, I was educated about it and I knew I had a lot of risk factors. And if I'd been smart, I would have gone on the American Bone Health uh, Foundation's website and gotten a score, a fraud. Oh. There's a FRAX score, FRAX, F-R-A-X, I think, which you put in all of your risk factors, kind of like the Gale score we do, some of us do for breast cancer. And that will tell you also, you need to see someone and and be evaluated. Um, But anyway, no, you don't feel anything. It's an invisible kind of a bone loss is not painful. It doesn't, you know, until you have a break. Yeah. fragility fractures, which they call it. We're not talking about <clears throat> uh, bone uh, breaks due to trauma. We're talking about just kind of bumping yeah. into a wall or something or yeah. falling from stand, just a standing position. Um, those kinds of fragility fractures, uh, that's, yeah. what real, that's when you suffer the pain and the disability and the 
you know, those kinds of things. But it really is an invisible, uh, which is scary. And people don't feel sick. Yeah. And men don't feel, men get this too, not as commonly, about one third of the, uh, one third, um, they suffer uh, only one third as many hip fractures, for example, as women with osteoporosis. But clearly um, they have lots of risk factors as well. And it's it's a serious, uh, serious disease for people over 65, especially. Because yeah, uh, they experience it, they don't, they don't see it. You know, they, that's part of the problem. So they don't get assessed. Yeah. So a, a, an acquaintance of mine has had two, she's in her late 60s, I think maybe a little older. And she's had two leg fractures uh, mm. in the last couple of years. And I immediately, and she's Irish descent. And I thought immediately, this woman's probably got osteoporosis and badly. I mean, I assume, so I'm not as high a risk. Uh, but I assume I have a little bit of bone loss, but not that severe. And um, yeah, it's, it, it is the idea of, of somebody's risk, I think, and, and how to look at risk. And you, you held a, an endowed chair at Columbia University before <laughs> you retired, the Mary Dickey Lindsay Professor of Health Promotion Risk Reduction. There you go. There and you she, go. Well, I have to just shout out to um, the late Mary Lindsay. I just loved her. And she was a real solid nurse and health and women's health expert. So I, I, I'm so proud to carry her name as the founding chair. Yes. Yes, so, risk reduction. <laughs> risk reduction. So, so I want to get into a bit of a controversy about, about this. So bone density tests have been used for, in this country, for screening women for osteoporosis. And I was in my 50s was recommended that I get a bone density test. So I was editor-in-chief of the American Journal of Nursing uh, for a while, and uh, I had a member of my editorial board who was a consumer advocate. And she very much pushed back on what she saw as over-screening in healthcare. And I started to look into this and I decided she had a really good point here that things like screening mammographies and screening bone densities sometimes are overrated. And at the time for bone density, the United States did it, but Europe did not. And the feeling was the bone density tests were developed by the pharmaceutical companies that had a drug to prevent, uh, to treat osteoporosis. And so they wanted every woman to get a bone density test. So I once was told by my nurse practitioner, well, you should get a bone density. And I was in my fifties and I said, no, I'm not at risk. I'm not at high risk for for osteoporosis. And if you find that I'm losing some bone, the question is, what are you going to do about it? And we can talk more about treatments, but the point being the idea of bone density test as a diagnostic tool versus as a screening tool that everybody should have. I'm interested Uh in your thoughts on this. Oh, it's amazing. And we, in fact, we were just, uh, I was at a meeting today uh, and sitting in listening mostly to some of the world's experts talking about this very issue and 
what do we should we get a baseline at some point because is isn't it the change in bone loss that's more important than what your actual score is and some people some of the people felt really really strongly that just getting this this t score now has become the end all be all of osteoporosis treatment it absolutely and in fact um it's interesting in 2008 medicare uh, cut the costs of bone scan payments back to the physician. So fewer and fewer physicians now are using these DEXA scans in their office. They're, uh, it's too expensive. They got to train the technician. Then they have to take the time to read them on and on. So they're not doing them as much. Um, and that's, that's one issue. Another issue is, is that um, primary care folks into uh, besides uh, and, and OBGYN folks used to do these, but they don't do them as much for all the reasons. And 15 minute time intervals is another problem. So they don't really have time to even talk about it. And all they care about is that T-score. They want to get they want to get the T-score. And and in fact, Medicare is now. Um, how can I say this? They want to know they're punishing you. If the person doesn't have a T-score, or if you do have a T-score that's worse than minus 2.5, and they're not on bone treatment, there's a, there's a problem with wow. that. Wow. Yeah. So this is crazy now. This is, I think you kind of predicted what some of that, what yeah. you said. Um, it, it is happening. And the and the there's no time in the training for the, the primary care folks. There's no time in in and OBGYNs are doing it lessons. Nobody understands bone health and um and the physiology of bone. And we're learning so much more now. And even obesity carries risks for bone loss because we know about there's all these new mechanisms that we're learning about. So it, it's kind of up in the air right now yeah. to what, and, and people, what we're, what American Bone Health, this Patient Education Foundation is trying to do is tell people it's not just about a T-score. There can be young men who are age 35 with a T-score of minus three because they're small frames, small boned, uh, and a few other risk factors. And that can be perfectly stable, and they will not have a have uh, they will not be in danger of, of breaking their hip. Versus an eighty year old who might have mm. a T score of minus one point seven, and the doctor says you don't have to be on anything because your your T score is minus one point seven. You're way above the threshold, and yet she has lots of. You see what I'm saying? It's yes. got it's become crazy now how that is taken as truth. It's as if we had. Uh, cardiologists were using um, the total cholesterol score to yes. drive their care, to drive yes. statin. Which is anything. what we used to do. Yes. So it's, I think this is a work in progress. And I think yeah. this, the, the pendulum has got to swing kind of at both extremes. Yeah. Until this, but that's kind of the, the latest thinking on this. Um, people are very concerned and upset, want both ways. And that we're really not evaluating bone health the way we should be, but we're not quite sure what that is. So Nancy, just so I'm clear about this, the T-score is or is not derived from the bone density test, the regular screening bone density. That machine. is what you get. You get a from number the bone density. You go in for a DEXA okay. scan. Yes. You get okay. the, well, in fact, that's not, they may sometimes just give you one single number. There are uh, each 
bone site that's done, usually mm-hmm. the lumbar, the spine, lower spine, mm-hmm. and the hips, mm-hmm. both hips, right and left, and you'll and then you'll get a total hip score. Um, and uh, they used to do something called the Ward's Triangle, which they don't do as much. And they may do a radius of uh, your arm uh, if there's problems with the hip or the, if there's disabilities or something. But no, it's the lumbar and the hip that really tell the tale. And um, those are T-scores. And so there's, but you should get a whole printout. And the patient should, like I get a printout and I get it in my chart, in my, mm-hmm. you know, electric electronic chart and you can actually see the picture of your spine and where these bad scores are if you will you can see the thinning of the spine it's kind of frightening but it's important you know um and now because then i was placed on medicines um you can then be evaluated not every time you know not every few months or so but every one or two years um, when your medicine changes or when you stop that and go on a different medicine, there's all kinds of regimens now out there and different kinds of, of mm-hmm. classes of medicines. But um, it, that's when it, it becomes more helpful, especially for yeah. treatment. Um, good good point. Treatment. Yeah. L- let me just uh, say, remind listeners that you're listening to Health Center in the Catskills. I'm Diana Mason, the host of this program on WIOX Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM, MTC Cable Channel 20, and everywhere at WIOXradio.org. I'm talking with Dr. Nancy Ream, a registered nurse and professor emerita from Columbia University School of Nursing. She's a major researcher on women's health. And if we have a few moments, which we might not, I might have to have you back, Nancy, to talk a little bit about your menopause research. But sure. we're talking about osteoporosis. And and so, Nancy, the, the thing that the nurse practitioner said to me when I said, you know, I... you're going to, even if I'm having some osteoporosis, I'm not, I'm not going to take that drug. That's going to make my jaw necrotic. If they're (laughs) Fosamax, it was at the time when Fosamax was the the treatment of choice. Oh my God. Adverse effects was necrotic jaw. So I want to talk about treatment options. And I, and I have to say that what she said to me was, well, you wouldn't necessarily have to take that. We could talk about you increasing your weight-bearing exercises. So let's talk about the range of treatments here. Yeah. Unfortunately, all the weight-bearing exercise and all the calcium supplements and vitamin D aren't enough to really prevent. No. No. Um, and we've got data, actually, the Women's Health Initiative for all of its uh, controversy uh, pretty clearly showed the the, the how oste- how vitamin D and calcium supplements didn't necessarily nothing cures osteoporosis. Even these other bone meds, they don't want they they may stabilize you and prevent, and some may actually build bone. But you stop them, it comes right back. You will always have osteoporosis once it's once you have it. Um, so. So that's, yes, it would be wonderful. And I was a runner. I ran mm. and um, uh, it, and I believed that too. I was like, of course, this isn't going to happen to me. I have really good bones in my legs. And then, um, but unfortunately it didn't seem to make a difference. Um, although it's really good for your uh, uh, 
uh, what are well balanced. Yes. Um, Yes. And all those good things. It and keep you from falling and absolutely. Your muscles fall. and yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Although I, I, I have really good balance and I, it's too good because I like to ride bicycles, no hands. So I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> Probably a mistake, but, but no, um, that's yeah. All the soy and all the nutritional and calcium and all those things diet, they're important. They're good. And you need to, to be doing that along with the medicine, the bone medicines um, to actually have to keep the calcium in balance because some of these bone medicines can, uh, and I'm going to get back to the jaw thing. Some of these bone medicines can actually cause hypocalcemia, not enough calcium because they're they're pulling the calcium. They're keeping the calcium in the bones. So you've got to make sure. And in fact, the calcium supplements can cause kidney stones. So you've got to be really careful about uh, because we were all doing the same thing. We all piled on. Um, when I went through menopause 20 years ago, we all piled on calcium supplements to, for bone and, and et cetera. And um, too much is not good. Too much of a good thing isn't, isn't good. Um, so it's a fine, you have to kind of fine tune and individualize um, your, your intake of calcium and vitamin D. Uh, but, the, but the side effects... Clearly, when this all started, um, the bisphosphonates, remember Sally Field? I think she was one of the early people on television that was talking about it and how you just took a pill. Yeah. You you could, and and actually, um, those medicines, the bisphosphonates, and there's several of them, um, do reduce your, all they do is reduce your risk of hip fracture, but by about 50%. Wow. It's not a hundred percent, but it's 50%. Um, estrogen, for example, only reduces your a risk of hip fracture by about 30%. Wow. So they're not all equal. Mm. Now the side effects, what they saw and mostly in post-marketing, you know, after the, the clinical trials don't go on long enough, mm. of course, um, because the FDA, you know how that is. The FDA yeah. approves things if better than placebo and you have up to maybe two years uh, to look at the the safety profiles, but it's post marketing um, reports that actually uh, where we learn a lot about it, these things, and it turns out that people who have the worst time with osteoporosis are folks with breast breast cancer, uh, people who are on chemo and radiation, as well mm. as prostate cancer uh, patients, and uh, those folks take much higher doses. And the incident, therefore, that's where it started to come out. Or people who had other kinds of underlying conditions, indeed, they were the ones, and they had poor dental. Um, ah. So you're because it's a bone. So yeah. you're more likely to see those kinds of really serious, scary things going on. And actually, people without... Uh, uh, without uh, who are not on bone medicines also can experience it's a very small mm-hmm. number, but this is um, it has to do with the quality of your health and your teeth mm-hmm. and what other conditions you have. So Ethel Cyrus, who's my, my physician, she has done some of this, some of the work, the original work. And she said, they just don't see it at the, at the uh, doses that people take. Uh 
osteoporosis, run of the mill, I suppose, osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. Um, they do watch out very carefully if patients have to be on higher doses. Um, but that's kind of the state of the understanding right now as far as bisphosphonate. The other thing, and that's also why you can't stay on it for more than, if it's oral for more than five years, if you're doing it, some of them you take IV and then you have to be on them only for three years. And then what happens? You can go on a drug holiday. The good news for people on bisphosphonates, which I'm not, well, I'll tell that, I'll explain that in a minute. Um, The folks taking bisphosphonates can go on a drug holiday because they hang around in your body. They, they retain and hold the bone and keep the bone. So you don't experience rapid, sudden bone loss, hmm. uh, which is good. So they've shown now they know, but it, this took time. This is all, anytime you introduce these new bone medicines or any kind of new hmm. medicine, it takes time. Um, they now know that you can take a drug holiday for up to a year, maybe hmm. longer. We don't know yet. Um, and then go back and switch to, but now we have these different new, newer classes of medications. And in fact, the one I'm on, they put me on immediately. Um, they now know there's a certain se- sequence to the bone medicines. So rather than use the bisphosphonates first, because this is a lifelong, once you get it, you got it. Mm-hmm. And you get it for the rest of your life and you can't stop taking these medicines. Um, so, being on bisphosphonates for only five years isn't going to cover your lifetime or even coming on a holiday. So now the, now there are new classes of medicines. There are some anabolic um, hormone, like um, not estrogen, parathyroid hormone, Mm -hmm. hormone like drugs that you can go on first and they, they prevent uh, hip fractures up to 80% of the time. Mm. And then but only for 18 months, um, again, because they didn't, some of the animal studies showed that this was 20 years ago when they first came out. Some of the animal studies showed in rats at high doses, they got bone cancer. Wow. Yeah. But now there's been 15 years of post-marketing and there have been no cases ever in humans, mm-hmm. um, which is good. And Instead of up to two years, the FDA, uh, most doctors are only using it for 18 months. And that's what I started on. And But it's a sub-Q injection every day oh. in your belly. Oh. So, but I'm a nurse and it's no big deal for me, but I can see a lot of people might be turned mm. off. And there's some side effects. If you're dizzy, I had palpitations. Mm-hmm. It only lasted for 10 minutes, but all of that stuff comes with, there's mm-hmm. side effects to these things. Mm-hmm. And you have to really weigh your... The, the risks and the benefits. Now I'm on bisphosphonates. Mm-hmm. So I've finished my 18 month um, course of this new anabolics. Now I'm on bisphosphonates. I'm going to take them uh, for up to five years. What are the side effects that you're experiencing with uh, the bisphosphonates? Yeah. So, um, well, let me just clarify. So the, the side effects that I had with the the anabolic bone medicine, um, they were very transient and um, some some lightheadedness. So I would take it at night, but uh, but also some um, 
uh, heart palpitations. So I don't like laying in bed at night and having your heart. Go, oh, I know. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so I started taking it in the morning. I wasn't dizzy and uh, I didn't mind. Then I got about my business and I totally forgot about it. And 10 minutes later, they were gone. So those were the those were the major. Some people say they have with bisphosphonates. Some people say they have nausea. Remember, this is the kind that you take a pill. You have to be upright when you take it and you have to stay upright and you have to for at least 30 minutes to an hour. And then you have to drink a whole eight ounces or 16 ounces of water mm. just because it could be uh, cause nausea and even vomiting in some people and GI issues. Uh, but those are the pretty minor uh and that doesn't uh, sound so minor to me <laughs> if i had this oh if you do it if you just yeah. drink it right you know and you don't lay down yeah. right away and that, okay it's fine i have okay i, I forget about it okay um, yeah so those that's been my experience so far so i've been into this now for about two years <laughs> and what a, effect is it having on your bones Oh, I forgot. That's an important point. I've gained 14% in my spine. Wow. I mean, that sounds like a lot, right? And, so it's and, not just reducing the rate of loss. It's actually building the calcium back the in. Anabolics absolutely build bone. Um, yes. And you can regain bone. Um, and I can't remember. It was less than less than 14%. That was the most dramatic, maybe like 8% or something in the, in the hip. The thing you need to most importantly that everybody needs to know is don't go from one uh, imaging center to another imaging center. Mm -hmm. Always, always use the same imaging center, even the same technician and the same machine, mm -hmm. because there is a margin of error from machine to machine, technician to technician, and even up to 5%. Wow. So if you see, so actually I had a, I went to a bone uh, osteoporosis workshop where the clinician who's a radiologist said, sometimes you'll see like a 3% gain in bone and your primary care doc might say, oh my God, that's great. But in reality, if they went to a different site for that second uh, read, there's a about a 5% margin of error. So it's probably nothing. It doesn't mean anything. You've just, you know, mm. you haven't lost, but you probably haven't gained anything either. So it's really important to use the same uh, imaging center and the same site and the same technician, if you can, and the same machine. So Nancy, you said you, you gained 13% of your bone mass. Was that with the anabolic? medication or was it yes. with the bisphosphonate yes. that was with the, with the anabolic sorry with anabolic anabolic yeah. so yeah. how about with the bisphosphonate oh we don't know yet i just uh. started this about uh three months ago uh -huh. and there uh you only evaluate uh bone changes but bone density changes like every year at, at the most or every two mm. years mm. Just it takes a minute yeah. 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 So, so, so anything else on treatment? Uh, what are some common questions people ask? Well, the cost. Oh, yes. are much more reasonable. It takes, and for some of these fancy newfangled medicines, um, there's, there's a number of other ones, which I didn't mention that work in a slightly different way. Um, the, um, they're more expensive and it's harder to get your insurance to pay for it. Uh -huh. And I don't know about Medicaid. 
Um, so yeah, it took a while for me to get approved through my insurance company and it still cost me, I want to say it was about $60 maybe a month or something. It wasn't cheap. Yeah. But I only had to use that one for 18 months. The bisphosphonates are much easier to get approved and, and much more reasonable. Great. Finishing. So, so if I had concerns about osteoporosis, do I need to go to an orthopedist or can I be managed by a primary care provider? It depends. <laughs> it depends on how, how well-versed the primary care uh, folks and, and nurse practitioners as well um, are familiar with bone health and all of these kind of nuances, especially all the new medicines that are coming out and the risk factors. You have to really kind of be quite um, educated yourself on some of this. Mm. Uh, well, and, and let's let's talk about that because you're on the board now of the Bone Health Foundation, yeah. uh, which talk about what that is. So AmericanBoneHealth.org is the, um, it, it's a national nonprofit foundation that its mission is to educate the public men and women about osteoporosis and treatments and ways of reducing risk for hip fracture. And by that, I mean, they are really quite, um, uh, they're very hardworking and they, and they actually have chapters. There's chapters all over the country and they put on all kinds of seminars in person as well as uh, on the internet. They have a great FRAX uh, assessment tool which you can go online and take and see what your score is and whether you should be thinking about seeing somebody. And, but bring that kind, those are the kinds of things you would bring to a primary care person mm. or a nurse practitioner, mm. because sometimes you're gonna know more about it than they are. Good, good, good point. So they should go to okay. that website and do. Yes, it's uh, AmericanBoneHealth.org. And you'll see at the top that it says, um, What's your risk or something? I should. And should. you click on that and, the, and click on it do and, a survey. Yes. And okay. you'll see all kinds of, uh, they'll ask you, how old are you? Mm -hmm. uh, what sex are you? Uh, how much do you weigh? Mm. And if you have any data from a previous um, uh, DEXA scan, they'll ask for that as well. Mm -hmm. And then there's mm -hmm. this, you know, this, this um, uh, formula that they plug in and um, they'll come out with, ooh, we need to talk or ah. <laughs> something that they'll help you with and send you information. That, that's a, it's a really, really good idea to, to do that before you go to your primary healthcare provider, whether it's a right. nurse practitioner, physician, PA, um, and, and to just share that you've done that. And, and uh, that, that can be a good way to determine, do you need the bone density test at this point? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so, so let's say I'm at risk for osteoporosis. I have a family history. I'm 40s in my 40s. I'm premenopausal. Okay. Is there anything I should be doing at that stage in my life? Uh, some people would say, would say get a baseline. Uh. And other people would say, oh, you know, the uh, uh, what's that? The national, the U.S. Preventative Health Task Force yes. says you don't need to do get a get a DEXA until you're 65 if you're a woman, or oh. 70 if you're a man. Uh. 
or if you have one risk factor and you're under 65. So that kind of covers the world. So <laughs> in other words, we can, and, and physicians will say, we can find reasons to get your DEXA scan for cause, if you will, uh, to get your DEXA scan approved by the insurance company. It doesn't take a lot to have one risk factor. Um, at the same time, for people who don't want to do all that and think that they're fine and they know, it, well, that there's there's no consensus right now yeah. on yeah. when when a premenopausal woman over forty five actually on the on the FRAC score that's on the American Bone Health website they recommend this for women forty five and older, mm. not for people younger to mm. take the to take the assessment yes and um but not they don't necessarily say oh you need to get a DEXA scan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's kind of still out. The jury's out. So from what you're saying, though, if I've if I'm at risk for it, there's not a whole lot that I can do. Obviously, you want to be healthy, you live a healthy life. You want to, as we talked about, be getting the exercise, even if it's not building bones. Um, it, it, maybe it's slowing it a little bit. Maybe, oh, yeah. Even if it's not, it may keep you from right. more fractures, right? Stop smoking. Stop smoking. Stop smoking. Good, no, good. Yeah, no heavy drinking, uh, for sure. And there are lots of uh, websites where you can go on. I started doing some of these bone stimulating healthy exercises because not all exercise is the same. Cardio doesn't necessarily build bone. Swimming doesn't build bone. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, so I heard uh, uh, today a pediatrician say she's got some some big high school swimmers with lousy bone. Wow. <laughs> now, maybe they're doing DEXAs in these kids. I don't know, but I don't know how she knows that, but that's what she said. Yeah. Because swimmers just are swimming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're not out there pounding the pavement or doing resistance exercises. So just cardio isn't going to help bone building. So at the at the americanbonehealth.org site, will mm -hmm. that show me some places to go to see about some of these exercises yes. that are good for bone health? And nutrition. I mean, they really want to it's the pub it's the health education, patient education aspect of this that they're really emphasizing. They actually train trainers to, uh, when we pre-COVID, they will train just the regular people who have osteoporosis to learn about them and have small group sessions and town meetings so that there is this community spirit, if you will, about learning more about uh, bone health. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a really good website um, <laughs> that, that worth paying attention to, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and it explains things, you know, in, in, in kind of fairly simplified ways without dumbing it down. This stuff yeah. is complicated. Yeah. Yeah. So the what we've talked about, we've talked about, um, you know, fractures, but I, I'm not quite so we're going to do all this treatment. I'm going to go on the, the anabolics and the bisphosphonates so that I can prevent a fracture. Yes. All right. So talk to me, risk reduction in the time we have left. Talk about risk reduction and, and balancing. It's comparative risk, isn't it? Aren't we talking about what's my risk of the fracture versus what's my risk 
of other kinds of effects, these heart palpitations that are stressing me out, um, you know, the, whatever effects, other effects I might be exposing myself to. I mean, th this has been an issue during COVID, of course, where people yeah. weren't paying attention to comparative risk, your risk of getting COVID versus your risk of some kind of a, an adverse effect from a vaccine. And it was making me a little bit crazy. Yeah. Because the risk of, of harm from COVID was so much greater. There you go. Right. And the risk from, a, unfortunately, from a hip fracture is not, is bad. I mean, it's, uh, if that, that's the problem, 60%, at least some of the recent uh, numbers I've been looking at, 60% of people who have a hip fracture yeah. end up in a nursing home. Yeah. And of that, and I don't know what the proportion is, but the mortality rate is very high there. Yes. So that's what you kind of have to keep in mind. Yeah. Am yeah. I willing to put up with for 18 months of giving this poking myself in my belly with this little yeah. tiny little needle that I don't like, and knowing I'm going to have some heart palpitations for a while. Um, and every day I would do it and I would be so proud of myself. Yeah. Did it. Yeah, yeah. I should have found another. Oh, I did. I did have one other compadre who was doing it and she was ahead of me by about six months. And that kept me going too. Um, so, and then when I found out that I had a 14% in, increase in my bone, I was really happy, but um, yeah. And plus, are there other side effects? We don't know. Yeah. I mean, you always have that unknown and that's always an issue, but I, knowing what we do know about what happens after a hip fracture, especially in women, um, and actually men even have a worse outcome, I should say that. And whether that's because they don't have someone taking care of them or looking in whatever, for all those social reasons, uh, they tend to even have worse outcomes than women after hip fracture. And, and I, I know you've probably seen this as well, but I remember as when I was practicing at the bedside, having a patient who, who even tiny moment movements at times, her osteoporosis was so bad that, oh. that, that even just small movements could lead to fractures and it included the spine and she lived in pain, terrible pain. Horrible. Um, and that's, so that's the other side of this, I think is the quality of life and it's hard to weigh, you know, um, you know, Absolutely. are you going to be somebody who gets all of these fractures and, and end up living in pain? Right. Well, look at your family. That's another way of uh, you think about that. And um you know, and, and the whole idea of this, of your mother and you're having a dowager, people just, I don't think they put it, the two and two together so much. Yeah. I, I didn't, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know what we thought that was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look at Queen Elizabeth, look at Queen Elizabeth right now. I mean, I am, she, she, I know she's 96, but she's really failing. You can see that. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, yeah, that's kind of what, that kind of foretells this could be you. <laughs> my mother was a big smoker. So, ah. you know, she, the fifties, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yes. I'm Nancy Rehm. 
Professor Emerita at Columbia University School of Nursing, major researcher. I'm sorry you have osteoporosis and, and go through this, but if anybody's going to do it with great aplomb and, and thinking very deeply about what are the search questions and what are, what are the nuances of this? And, and uh, yeah, I, it's you. And I thank you so much for, for coming on to Healthcetera in the Catskills and talking about this. We've got, we're an aging population up here. And I know some people who, when the hospital's bone density machine went out, uh, they were very concerned. It's now back at Margaretville okay. Hospital. People should know. Uh, and uh, yeah, so um, I, I highly right recommend ahead. the idea that you talked about going to AmericanBoneHealth.org and doing your own risk assessment online and taking that to your primary care provider. Sounds like a good plan to me, Nancy. Oh, I, I, I totally, it was a pleasure. Anytime, call me uh, and I'll keep you posted. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, we'll look for updates. If you have All a fracture, right. we want to know it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Right, Nancy Reed. Thank you. Bye, Diana. You've been listening to a podcast of Healthcetera in the Catskills. For more podcasts and discussions of important health issues and policies affecting health, go to Healthcetera's website and blog at www.healthmediapolicy.com. That's www.healthmediapolicy.com. This podcast was produced by Dr. Diana Mason and production assistant Kai Volsey.